The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals presents the timeless teaching of Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. Those who live under our roof have very special claims upon us. It augurs nothing of selfishness that a man should first seek to have his own kindred saved. I will give nothing for your love for the wide world if you have not a special love for your own household. We are to do good to all men, but especially to such as be of the household of faith. And so we're to seek the good of all mankind, but especially of those who are of our own near kindred. Over a half a century ago, the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, then pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, saw the need to spread God's Word beyond the hearing of his local congregation. He started the weekly radio outreach, which has become known as Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible. The application of God's Word, as taught by Dr. Barnhouse, is as relevant today as when he first taught over the radio airwaves decades ago. The message we will be featuring on today's edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is entitled, He First Found His Brother. Do you enjoy stories about missionaries in far-off lands? History is filled with exciting tales of those who took the good news to the uttermost parts of the earth, Africa, China, India, and so forth. But do you realize that you are also in the uttermost parts of the earth? You do not have to cross the globe to be a missionary. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are a missionary, and your mission field begins with your own family. The scripture text for this edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is John chapter 1 and verses 35 through 42. Our text reads, And the next day John was standing, and two of his disciples. And he looked upon Jesus as he walked, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and beheld them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. They came therefore and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translated means Peter. Here again is Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse with a message entitled, He First Found His Brother. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we come unto thee, our Father and our God, and in the Holy Spirit. We thank thee that thou hast left us here in this world to be thy witnesses, and that thou hast called us to make known thy grace to all round about us. 
Help us not to have the attitude that we're to think of those in the uttermost parts of the earth and neglect those who are next to us. Lord, give us a burden for those who are in our own homes and who may not know thee, for those with whom we come in close contact day by day in school and office and store and shop and factory and neighborhood. Lord, our God, bless the witness of thy true people, we ask in the name and for the sake of our Lord Jesus. Amen. The moment a man becomes aware that he has been made alive in Christ, there is the urge to let someone know about it. It is as natural as the cry of the newborn infant. If there is no such witness, there may be serious question whether there is stillbirth and not the reality of divine life. It is as natural as the cry of the lover when he learns that he has been accepted by his beloved. If there is no such witness, we may wonder if truly there is love there. One of the poignant stories of the New Testament is hidden in the simple words which tell how Simon Peter came to Christ. John the Baptist was preaching in the Jordan Valley, and as he was standing with two of his disciples, Jesus Christ walked by. John said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, A rabbi, which means teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. Now there's no record of what was said that evening. It must have been like that which John describes when he said he was full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. At all events, it's written that one of the two who came that afternoon to Jesus Christ was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And it says of him, he first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Even before the Lord Jesus told his disciples that if they would follow him, he would make them fishers of men, Andrew witnessed to his brother and landed the big fisherman, Simon Peter. The Lord has given us the story as an indication of a field of witness that is often overlooked. Many who think that they can be used in far fields have never begun where the Lord Jesus meant them to begin, right at home. The last words that our Lord spoke on this earth while standing on the Mount of Olives, ready to ascend into heaven, were these, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now the Lord spoke this word not only in the context of his departure from earth in his body, but also in the context of the disciples' question as to the time of the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. They were thinking of an immediate earthly kingdom founded on the crushing power of the Messiah, which power he will not exercise until his second coming. He was thinking of the spiritual kingdom, the church, established on the basis of a testimony from heart to heart, thus reigning on sincere conviction founded on the word of God. And the beginning was to be in Jerusalem. They were to speak first to their own brothers, but the gospel was to go out from person to person and to the ends of the earth. There's a very special importance attached to this witness to one's own brother. 
In order to witness to one's own family, there must be a definite change in the former manner of life. At home, we're known for what we are. If we would talk to those of our own circle, there must be such a witness to the presence of the new life that they will be struck by the transformation and will be drawn to Christ. This is the way the majority come. It's true that the first generation of believers in any tribe come straight out of heathenism, generally by the witness of some foreigner who has brought the witness to that particular tribe. And so it is that most of church history is the story of some alien who entered a tribe with little knowledge of their language and who preached Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit so that people were saved. Paul, the Greek Jew, took the gospel to the tribes of Asia Minor, to Macedonia, and to Greece. Irenaeus, a Greek, was the first to take the gospel to Gaul, which is now France. A Latin from Rome, the second St. Augustine, was the first missionary to England, while an Englishman, Boniface, was the first to carry the gospel to Germany. Young Patrick, of high family, was kidnapped by marauders and carried to Ireland at the age of 16, later to become the instrument of the conversion of Ireland. In modern times, the list of similar instances crosses the world. Henry Martin took the gospel to Hindustan and to Persia. Adoniram Judson of Burma, Hudson Taylor of China, Mary Slessor of Calabar, Livingston of Central Africa, and the list goes on until we have Betty Elliot of the Alcas and Wycliffe Bible translators in many another tribe. But in spite of all that list, which grows longer every year, these pioneers win but a small proportion of those who come to Christ. The informant who teaches his language to that strange creature, the missionary, usually ends up by coming to know the missionary's savior. He has seen Christ in the missionary first of all. And then the informant goes and finds his own brother. That is first in countless tribes. The God of Abraham became the God of Sarah, Abraham's wife, and then the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Household salvation is a very precious truth. And while there are definite promises which give positive assurance only of the salvation of our children, other statements give us large hope that the gospel shall penetrate throughout our households. We must keep in balance the prophecy that a man's foes shall be they of his own household. And believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Charles Spurgeon said, Though grace does not run in the blood, and regeneration is not of blood nor of birth, yet doth it very frequently, I was about to say almost always happen, that God, by means of one of a household, draws the rest to himself. He calls an individual and then uses him to be a sort of spiritual decoy to bring the rest of the family into the gospel net. John Bunyan, in the first part of his Pilgrim's Progress, describes Christian as a lonely traveler, pursuing his road to the celestial city alone. Occasionally he's attended by faithful, or he meets with a hopeful, but these are casual acquaintances and are not of his kith or kin. Brother or child after the flesh, he has none with him. The second part of Bunyan's book exhibits family piety, for we see Christiana and the children and many friends all traveling in company to the better land. 
And though it's often said that the second part of Bunyan's wonderful allegory is somewhat weaker than the former, and probably it is so, yet many a gentle spirit has found it sweeter than the former, and it has given to many a loving heart great delight to feel that there is a possibility beneath the leadership of one of the Lord's great hearts to form a convoy to the skies so that a sacred caravan shall traverse the desert of earth and women and children shall find their way in happy association to the city of habitations. Oh, we rejoice to think of whole families enclosed within the lines of electing grace and entire households redeemed by blood, devoting themselves to the service of the God of love. Now, to witness successfully in the circle where we are best known demands certain conditions. If we made a stranger on the train and talk with him concerning matters of faith, he has no way of knowing whether we're living in conformity with that which we're saying. He doesn't know whether we leave others to do tasks that we should do ourselves. He doesn't know whether we take overly large portions when others might be hungry. He doesn't know whether we're quick to defend our proud sensibilities. In short, he doesn't know whether our life is centered in self or in the Christ of whom we are the witnesses. But our brother knows. These things erect barriers between our brother and ourself. And these barriers may be instinctively transferred by our brother so that they stand between him and Christ. If we're to have an effective witness to those in our own household, we must see to it that Christ becomes Lord of the inmost self, that greatest obstacle in the way of our loved ones. In the first epistle of John, the beloved disciple begins by explaining the nature of his witness, which is the true Christian witness. We read in 1 John 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we saw it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim unto you. And this is what we must do if we're to be true witnesses. This is what Andrew did when he went first to find his own brother. He didn't begin with a theological exhortation or with an apologetic argument. He did not invite him to a religious ceremony. He testified of a fact that he knew. And he invited his brother to participate in the experience that he himself had known. He just simply said, We found the Messiah, that is Christ. And then we read, He brought him to Jesus. Now, in the case of John, the direct reality of his experience is conveyed with repeated uses of verbs which reveal the speaker's inmost heart. Listen to the list. We have heard him. We have seen him with our eyes. We have looked upon him. We touched him with our hands. We saw that life. We have seen him. We have heard him. There are seven verbs of personal involvement with Christ. They concern three of the five senses. John had seen, heard, and touched Christ. In addition to one of the common verbs for seeing, orao, there is a second verb for looking that describes a close and meditative scrutiny 
And this verb is used by John when he says in the first chapter of the fourth gospel, we beheld his glory. Christ used this verb when he said, lift up your eyes and look upon the fields, white for the harvest. Now we can follow John in all of these experiences except that of physical contact. We cannot touch Christ as he bade Thomas and the other disciples to do. Oh, but we can see him. We can see him with the eyes of the Spirit, and we can hear his voice in the Word, and in the tones that the Spirit brings to the ears of our hearts. And with all our heart, soul, and mind, we can contemplate him, meditating on the wonder of his being, thinking of who he is, remembering what he has done for us, realizing the nature of the spiritual blessings for us, which he has stored up in himself, in the heavenly places. Now I return to the fact that Andrew and the other disciple met Jesus at the 10th hour, four o'clock in the afternoon, and that they spent the night there. What did they talk about until supper time? What were their thoughts as for the first time they saw Christ lift up his eyes to heaven and thank the Father for the bread which he broke for them? How did they spend the evening? What scripture did he bring to their minds as they talked together? How late did they stay up talking of spiritual things? Have you ever talked with Christ for a whole evening? Oh, I tell you the truth, I know what it is to sit at my typewriter with my Bible beside me and my books around me and to listen for his voice and hear the tones of love and to feel the heart swelling until one would think that its joy could not be contained. A thousand times I've known it thus. And only when the body becomes cramped or cold does my eye turn to the clock and I realize with a start that the night is long gone toward morning. And after such a night, one is constrained to go out and find his brother. When I was a student, I had to fill out a report sheet of work done, of hours studied, of the number of gospels or testaments distributed, the number of people witnessed to, and God forgive us, the number of decisions brought about. I met a fellow student rushing out late one Saturday evening, and when I asked him where he was going, he replied he was going over to the park nearby to do some personal work so that he could fill out the quota he had set for himself. Looking back on it now, I can understand why the converts soon became the victims of backsliding. There had been no true contact with Christ on the part of the worker, and there had been no true contact with the heart of the one to whom the so-called witness had been given, and consequently no contact between the needy one and the Lord himself. In fact, the needy one was actually the student who was preparing for Christian work, as it was called, more than the vagrant in the park, for the latter at least knew that he was in need, while the student thought that he himself had arrived and that he had it made. Oh, the work that is worthwhile, the work that will pass the test of the judgment fires, the work that is built of gold, silver, and precious stones is the work that is done after spending time with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not astonishing to me that there's no record of what happened that night when John and Andrew stayed with Jesus. Such things cannot be set down in human language. The nearest thing to it all in the word of God is that spoken by the disciples from Emmaus when the Lord vanished from their supper table. 
Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Oh, such experiences must be the prelude to spiritual power. If you pass through such unspeakable glories, you will be able to go out and find your brother. And when you found him, you can think of going farther afield. If you're not able to bring men to Christ in this country, you will not be able to reach them in Africa or South America. Crossing the ocean has never made a missionary out of anyone. The uttermost parts of the earth are measured from Jerusalem and not from your hometown. And when we measure from Jerusalem, we discover that we're already in the uttermost parts of the earth. Right here, we are to hunt for the lost. Christ defined the term neighbor by telling the story of the Good Samaritan. I believe he would define the term brother by pointing to the man who lives nearest to us. Oh, I'm quite aware of the false emphasis on the so-called brotherhood of man in the spiritual realm, but nevertheless, there is a sense in which our fellow men are to be the recipients of the love of Christ through our hearts and the touch of Christ through our hands. We must meet them. It's not selfish, however, for you to seek most earnestly the salvation of your own loved ones. If charity begins at home, so most certainly must love of souls. Those who live under our roof have very special claims upon us. Spurgeon said of this, God has not reversed the laws of nature, but he has sanctified them by the rules of grace. It augurs nothing of selfishness that a man should first seek to have his own kindred saved. I will give nothing for your love for the wide world if you have not a special love for your own household. The rule of Paul may, with a little variation, be applied here. We are to do good to all men, but especially to such as be of the household of faith. And so we're to seek the good of all mankind, but especially of those who are of our own near kindred. Let Abraham's prayer be for Ishmael. Let Hannah pray for Samuel. Let David plead for Absalom and Solomon. Let Andrew first find his own brother Simon, and Eunice train her son Timothy. Oh, they'll be none the less large and prevalent in their pleadings for others because they were mindful of those allied to them by ties of blood. The effect I want is to give you a greater love and zeal for those who are nearest your heart by blood ties. And the effect follows the cause as the morning follows the night. The compulsion in Andrew that soul-winning morning followed the night that he spent with the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is the secret of it all. Spend time with Christ. Turn to the Lord and sing with Bishop Mole. Come in, oh come. The door stands open now. I knew thy voice, Lord Jesus, it was thou. The sun has set long since. The storms begin. Tis time for thee, my Savior. Oh, come in. Alas, ill-ordered shows the dreary room. The household stuff lies heaped amidst the gloom. The table empty stands, the couch undressed. Oh, what a welcome for the eternal guest. Yet welcome, and today. 
This doleful scene is e'en itself my cause to hail the inn. This dark confusion e'en at once demands thine own bright presence, Lord, and ordering hands. I seek no more to alter things or mend before the coming of so great a friend. All were at best unseemly, and twere ill beyond all else to keep thee waiting still. Come, not to find, but make this troubled heart a dwelling worthy of thee as thou art, to chase the gloom, the terror, and the sin. Come, all thyself. Yea, come, Lord Jesus, in. And when this experience has become yours, you will go to your brother and say, I've found Christ, and I have been found of him. All things are new. Come with me to Jesus, and you'll see him come. And our God and Father, we pray thee to bless these truths to our hearts. Give us the deep spiritual experience and the love for souls and the zeal that will send us out that men may see Christ in us. We ask it in the name and for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Your life can be a wonderful missionary story, and you can begin by sharing the love of Christ with your own family. If you would like to review today's message and additional teachings by the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, you can hear these broadcasts anytime, anywhere around the globe via the Internet. The Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible Real Audio Internet website is accessible by visiting Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals online at www.alliancenet.org. Log on to this week's message entitled, He First Found His Brother. An audio copy of today's teaching is also available by calling us toll-free at 1-800-488-1888. Today's message again is entitled, He First Found His Brother or simply request message number Q117. We would also like to make available to you a complimentary copy of Dr. Barnhouse's booklet entitled First Things First. This six-chapter booklet is a study on Christian priorities. If we are to live a successful Christian life, then what are the most important concepts and priorities that we need to grasp concerning God's sovereignty, His Word, the Lordship of Christ, witnessing, fellowship, and repentance. This booklet could easily be read in a short amount of time, but its teachings and applications will last a lifetime. Ask for your complimentary copy of First Things First when you call or write. When you call or write, you may also request a free catalog of all of Dr. Barnhouse's books and audio teachings. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is a radio ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, headquartered in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals exists to promote a biblical understanding and worldview, drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformed theologians from decades and even centuries gone by. We seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching materials which will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. If you would like more information on the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, or if you would like to support and further our work, Contact us by writing Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19103, or call toll-free 1-800-488-1888, or visit us online at 
www.alliancenet.org. Join us again next time for more classic teaching on Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible.